0: I'm Mike O'Kane, host of Getting Closure, a podcast produced by the Landform Design Institute to explore the principles and people behind responsible mine closure and reclamation. We all know how gravity works. Inherently, we know which way is up. It's likely that we are also all very well versed in our world's push for developing and implementing renewable energy opportunities. And there's a growing discussion in our industry on its capacity to achieve mine closure objectives and transform our mined land into a future or post-mining land use, which brings value to rights holders, stakeholders, and the communities in and around our mine sites. Our guest on this episode of Getting Closure ties these three aspects together. I connected recently with Green Gravity's founder and CEO, Mark Swinnerton to discuss his insights on alternative land use potential for closed and legacy mines, but also planning for and creating renewable energy throughout the mine life cycle as part of closure planning. Mark's perspective in this space is wide and varied as a result of the breadth of his incredible experience working in the mining industry for a large mining house and really understanding how we influence investment in our industry and advance projects. During our discussion, Mark provides his perspective on how we can change closure from a conversation about simply costs to a conversation about the opportunity that lies before us. If we are able to think of our mine infrastructure, not as liabilities, but as assets with opportunities that we must nurture. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mark as much as I did. Welcome to the uh, podcast for the Landform Design Institute, uh, Getting Closure, and I am absolutely pleased to be with Mark Swinnerton of Green Gravity. Uh, Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Great to be here today. Yeah, so maybe maybe we could start uh, at uh, a place of where we are right now, where uh, can you tell us about Green Gravity and how it Relates into um, you know landform design, mine closure, even the uh, production and start off of mines, and how that all connects in that that vision that you're creating with green green gravity. And now it's you know more than a vision; you've got a lot of traction with it as well. Absolutely, thanks, Mike. And and green gravity, we're a we're a gravitational
1: energy storage developer, which uh, sounds very fancy, but uh, what we're tr- what we're really trying to do here is. Uh, find a way to accelerate uh, the development of renewable energy. And when we bring renewable energy into the uh, into the grid, uh, we we back out coal, which is very stable in its production, and we bring in a production that becomes more variable because of when the wind is uh, blowing or the, the sun is shining. So we need to also pair renewables with energy storage over time to manage the supply and demand of the energy in the system. So as we need more uh, energy storage, we need more options and technologies. And our company, Green Gravity, is developing an option to store energy through a simple means of uh, lifting weights at one point of time, i.e. we use renewable energy that's surplus in the system and we lift heavy weights. And then at a later time when we need the energy back in the grid again, we lower those weights again. And using a regenerative motor that can spin as a motor or a generator, we're able to as we lift the weights, uh, we're able to consume electrical energy and turn it into gravitational potential of a mass. And then as we lower, we release the gravitational potential and generate electrical energy again. So that's the technology that we're using. And, and the good news is uh, the physics calls for two things, mass and height. Yeah. And so we can sort of figure out the mass. We need to go find uh, opportunities to get height. And it just so happens that legacy minds... Uh, offer a great opportunity in height. So um, that means that our technology is well-suited to utilising mining assets that may no longer be needed. Uh, Hence, uh, the the amazing um, opportunity to work together with the the closure, rehabilitation, end-of-mine life community to to find ways to both optimise the pathway towards applying technologies like ours um, or to find
0: existing assets that might be amenable to the technology that's fantastic and so from like from a, a a closure practitioner perspective we 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 try to to use that you know begin with the end in mind and and so you're you're bringing in uh, one of the other facets that we can talk to that in mind or talk to the community about this could be another end in mind that is trying to bring the highest economic land use value in addition to perhaps at other places of the the site, that highest ecological value. And so it's trying to marry that up to say it's not, doesn't all need to be ecological restoration. There are lots of other opportunities to use part of what we're doing um, to actually bring value and energy to the community um, beyond the the mining life cycle. Is that fair to say? And they're complementary. this is the great news, is by
1: bringing an energy production dimension to uh, the end of life, we generate more economic value which can also give back to more ecological value in other parts of that site or or in a, in a new integrated way so i think what we've we've got here is is a new um a new view of what we can do uh, with these lands yeah um, that sort of adds one more option in there and i think the whole then becomes much
0: better and i would i think i'd be remiss if i didn't point our 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 listeners to also to your website and there's uh i really love your website and and some great you. action statements there no you're welcome it's really good uh radically accelerating the world's renewable energy a tra- uh, re- renewable transition you know the world needs zero carbon energy now and then also that when you there's that what at its core is that there's worldwide there are millions of abandoned mines that are mostly unrehabilitated so there's tons of opportunity out there for you. And what's one of the, maybe a barrier of, of, of jumping in? Is it is it finding a site for proof of concept or is it changing the mindset uh, of uh, within the regulator and the community and, and the mine owner? Or, or is it all three of those? I think it's a, it's a little bit of all
1: three, but probably the one that's uh, the most important is finding a site where um, all of the counterparties are willing to take that little mm-hmm. bit of additional development risk in bringing a new technology forward, and we all know that, rightly so, the natural resources sector is is um, sort of risk averse and very careful to manage and steward its its assets in a way that it takes as little risk as possible, uh, given lots of things that can happen. So, um, finding that right side, and I'm really pleased that we've had a number of uh, mining companies very proactive with us at. Scoping up and and looking at sites, and we'll be able to announce soon uh, the uh, the establishment of of operations at a at a mine site to be able to show the technology, and and I think that will really unlock the 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 risk perceptions and the value perceptions of our technology to be able to move much faster. So I, I think um, to your point about mindsets is very interesting. Uh, we've observed there to be a great deal of demand and interest in the technology, and I think mm-hmm. that's Partly to do with uh, people looking at asset bases, and we'll come to it perhaps a little bit later about how people are thinking about their end of life assets and and the liabilities they're in, but also uh, we're able to tap into. A conversation about carbon emissions, about reducing those emissions, and participating in the energy transition, and that's something that has a lot of companies' attention and, and regulators' attention. So that's something that we're we're able to use in our favor to be able to bring the technology forward.
0: Yeah, that's very 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 cool. So this is where you are now. Uh, maybe just to to familiarize folks. Uh, of, of how did you get here? Like, where did you? Uh, what's your training, and 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 where were you before this, and sort of then coming to where you were at uh, or are at Green Gravity right now?
1: I'm a materials engineer uh, by training, actually, metallurgical processing engineer, right. and, um, and I started my career with BHP, and I ended up doing 27 years with BHP, actually, oh, wow. across, yeah. yeah, across both um, parts of the manufacturing business. Um, in steel making, but also time in um, iron ore operations, coal operations, um, and then also some time in commercial and functional areas, uh, including um, in Asia, uh, when when we had this uh, amazing boom of iron ore going on. So, learning a lot about uh, how the commodities business is functioning across the full value chain. Yeah. So, that was my background. During uh, part of that time, I had the fortunate experience of spending time um, as uh, the head of market analysis and chief economist for BHP. Oh, and yes, well. in, in that time, we had this this incredible set of resources to understand what's going on in the world and what do we think is going to happen uh, in the world. And that included, interestingly, the future of energy and the future of climate. And um, I got very interested in that area um, probably a decade ago and um, never lost that interest. And as we went forward, Mike, I have observed that things are probably getting harder, not easier in regards to responding to the climate issues. And uh, as a result, I think more people need to do more things from more sectors of the economy. And uh, my move to conclude my career in in mining with BHP and, and start a career in clean energy. Uh, was to help bridge that gap and to um, be able to to be a catalyst for an even broader set of stakeholders to be able to move more quickly
0: on on addressing the climate issue. Yeah. That's really awesome. No one knows where they're going to be when they start out, you know, you get out of uni and you're, you know, where are you going? But it feels like you you found as you went along uh, different passions and of course and then followed your effort uh, and that and and being passionate about that and And moved along and and changed as 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 things went along. And I think that that says we have a lot of young pra- practitioners and people who are part of the landform design institute. and it's a uh, a similar thing. i mean i I with my with my children they're they're wondering what they're going to do. and uh, so what would be your you know, going through your career if a, a young person coming into the industry, how would you well, you know what would you say to them to 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 help guide them as the you know a lot of us have this, i guess, a, uh, it's like, what am I doing in the room? How could I contribute? Um, you know, I just I only have this amount of experience. What what possibly I could contribute to the conversation? But how have you uh, dealt with that or worked with that to be mm-hmm. able to say, hey, there's always something in front of me. What wh- how do you how do you uh, how did you navigate those waters for, for yourself?
1: Yeah, I and <clears throat> and I think it's natural for for um, people earlier in their career um to think in, in exactly that frame and think, well, I've got this and and how am I going to chart my way forward? What I what I believe now is um part of that journey, uh, part of the where you're going has been built as as you go. You're kind of building that bridge as you go. And very importantly, each of the roles that you you end up taking will form your skill base. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we you need to be very deliberate about that. I'm using skills today from each and every one of my roles that I've had and they distinct skill. In fact, I always had the discipline of writing down and being really clear at a, in a role. What were the skills I was gaining? What was the experiences I was gaining? And what were the ones that I needed to still go go get? what possible big gaps? But you don't know what all those gaps are, but what you're gonna do is yeah. along the way, make sure you really nail and get some skills, close the book on that and move on because they're gonna serve you a, a whole lot later on. And that might be in, in all sorts of fields. And i found that the reason that we've been able to be so successful at Green Gravity is partly because of the skill base that you've built that um, that you're able to now draw on. And yeah. that when you assemble a team of people with exactly the same situation, we have lots of very experienced people in our team, uh, we're able to really accelerate very quickly because um, those skills come back to serve you later. So yeah. um, always focus on delivering in your role right now and um, cherish the kind of skills that you're building and make sure you become a master of them because you'll need them later. Uh, so don't, don't do it halfway, <laughs> uh, get it right, do, do a fantastic job. And and that is a self-fulfilling prophecy because firstly, it arm you for the future to be more successful. And secondly, yeah. people will notice. and And the more people notice that you're doing uh, doing an excellent job, you're really delivering, and that you're stretching beyond what you want to do, uh, that what what your role scope is. Uh, people will notice, and they'll give you more and more opportunities. And that's just the way I think the world works.
0: Yeah, that's excellent advice. I love that. I've uh, I think of it the same way, but I don't think I've uh, I've ever been able to communicate it as concisely and, and clearly as you do. So I really I appreciate that. I'm sure uh, many of the uh, the young folks uh, who uh, to listen to our podcast are going to appreciate that as well. Thank you, Mark, for sharing that thank you to come back to green gravity but also go back to 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 mining in general um and thinking about within the landform design institute uh, we have or we call it our twelve principles of landform design and and, the, and number one is begin with the end in mind and in that you know some uh, as as closure planning practitioners we're, you know we have challenges communicating uh, about how to go everyone agrees with that's the vision but it's that, it's that how, that path of how to get there. And, you know, and then that couples in with these different phases and stages of the development uh, of, a, of a project and into a mine from exploration to construction to operation, you know, through obviously, a, you know, uh, permitting and, and then into closure and post-closure. There's a different group and set of people You know that that are experts in those areas or practicing in those areas and so the the project and the mind sort of pass with one group to the next to the next to the next and sometimes there's not a lot of connection between the two you know we'd love for it to be but a lot of times there there isn't so when we think about what green gravity is about could we have your vision and what you're doing with green gravity not just happen and occur at the end of mine life as something somebody would think about in helping with closure, but bringing it right up to the front in that strategic mindset, where we're truly beginning with the end in mind. Sort of thinking, you know, is it is it never too late? Like we could uh, we we could uh, we could actually do what your your vision with green gravity that future land use right when we're actually starting to develop the site, and and then really optimizing those gravity opportunities, and maybe even doing it while we're mining
1: so absolutely agree with you we can and i think increasingly incentive to do that and and i think this becomes really really important um, i'll give you an example of a conversation i had uh, about three weeks ago we were right. speaking with a large mining house and in fact did a, uh, had a conversation um with a with a cross-section of employees uh, to explain the technology and talk about uh, some of the features of the energy and and the um the mm-hmm. The potential operating market and within the crowd there was uh, somebody who was accountable for thinking new shafts right at the moment and that oh, person wow. uh had a conversation with me after to say could we have further dialogue about what we could do in our design of our shaft now yeah. to accommodate your technology at end of life such that we reduced the total cost uh, and therefore lifted the total uh, total value of this entire life cycle. So that was someone planning and and actively in charge of those shafts. So I thought, what a what an incredible example Perfect. of leadership and the way to think about this situation. Now, I'll give you a couple of other points. The increasingly organisations are being measured against their sustainable uh, the sustainability of their balance sheet. Um, and that that means, and this is, a, I think, a, a fascinating area because increasingly people are understanding that that means the end of life of asset, which carries with it a potentially very negative NPV, yes. um, is being examined by the investors in a more rigorous fashion to understand what could you do to change the total life cycle um, value here. And the more that solutions come forward, like green gravity, and there will be others, thinking hydrogen, thinking carbon sequestration. There's a lot of business models that I think are coming through that will lift the value at the tail end of these assets. And and investors can see that and now they want to see that coming forward in a plan to say, how do you do that and how do you optimize that? Example, um, electrical infrastructure. If we plan at the beginning of an operation, before we've even started operating, if we plan the electrical infrastructure in a way that's amenable for a renewable play, for a gravitational storage play, for a hydrogen insertion later, um, for sequestration potential options in the, within the landform, um, you may find that the total cost of that is materially lower. Yes. And and so as a result, there is a very strong value case um, that can be pointed to with real dollars. That's yes. the thing, because it's nice to put a, uh, there's a great option value for the future, but if you can say there's a business case out there that says we could plan for this in our closure plan, um then suddenly the the MPV may stack up some of those additional investments earlier.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. and may, and you would have more uh, insight and, and experience with this, but I does it? do you see it that if somebody's in an investor into the mining industry and then you have another pool of investors into the renewable energy field, that perhaps that even at the start, you're even widening it out, widening out your investor pool, your potential investor pool of people want to, to get in, because they can actually see that that good positive cash flow and return on investment, de-risking their initial investment and space for continued investment. Uh, you're widening it out and and lengthening that time frame. Is that essentially what we're saying here? It would more likely happen as separate pools of capital, but
1: transacting with one another. So I and in fact we're, we're we're speaking with an organization right now, uh, renewable energy as a service provider. And I think it's a fantastic business model they have, which is saying to say a mining operator, uh, we don't need your capital uh, to be able to generate renewable energy at your site. We just simply need a commercial arrangement with you, and we will bring forward the capital from the pools of capital who want to invest in the kind of uh, on renewable assets. And those are different because they have different ret- risk and return um, opportunities right. around them. Um, but I do think the more we can bring business models that connect the the, the pools together, the more that we can show. Holistic cases, the more that, that that there's just a commercial arrangement, that will snap into shape there and do exactly as, as you're suggesting. And I think that's it's very real and very reasonable. And and I think the real watershed event is um, if we think as a closure practitioner about generating topsoil at a certain point in the cycle, um, which will be needed later, but it may okay. be needed, needed for an ecological reason to be able to create the closure outcome. People will not always price the externality of the ecological outcome. There's not a good price signal for it yet. There is, I think, some potentially emerging, but there isn't one yet. So if that's our base case, it's very hard to make the case to spend more money now or to convince the capital investor that that's an appropriate use of capital. However, if we have new use cases like renewable energy production that's got clear MPV attached to it or gravitational energy storage or pumped hydro or other opportunities, Yes. Um, then what you suddenly have um, is a tangible number to put in and it changes the entire perspective of the investors. So I think that's the watershed event now. We need to bring and merge the ecological and the economic components in together to to provide now the new case back to the investors. And the other bit I'll, I'll make, and I mentioned it sequestration earlier, I think there's a massive opportunity in the thinking about our land use post-mining on yes. what can be done with direct carbon uh, Into plays, and there's, there's
0: quite a bit in that area, I think, that's going to emerge. Yeah, that's that's excellent. So, you know, with your perspective and green gravity, it's it's uh, you know never too late to begin with the end in mind, and it's also never too early to to begin with the end in mind uh, in that respect. That's right. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'll yeah. give you an example of the never too late. I mean, <clears throat> we
1: we are working at the moment very collaboratively in Central Victoria, southern part of Australia, where Um, the the gold rush was really, really prominent in the Mm -hmm. mid-1800s. And there are upward of 25,000 legacy mines in a tight area in the middle of central Victoria around Ballarat and Bendigo. Um, We're working with the local community there on potential to to, to utilise shafts that even from back then uh, are in good condition, very deep and amenable to technology. And it's possible we're going to be able to to start, even a hundred years post mining, now uh, you know. Oh, uh, I love it. it sounds I love strange, it. but it's really possible we could turn something amazing on renewable energy from even the deep history of mining.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. So with that, I'm going to take a uh, short break, and then we'll come back.
2: Getting closure is sponsored by Westhawk Associates, an award-winning full-service communications firm. Westhawk is the agency of record for the Landform Design Institute, providing strategic communication services. In addition to writing, editing, graphic design services for the Institute's publications, website, and social media, it also produces the Get Closure podcast. Founded in 1995, Westalk specializes in the environment, economy, sustainability, human health, and natural resources. The company provides communication support to government and corporate clients across Canada and abroad. It provides editorial services to numerous companies in the mining sector Producing guidance documents, annual reports, brochures, books, state-of-the-environment reports, websites, and other communication products. The founder of Westhawk, David Walenko, is a former journalist with more than 25 years of professional writing and editing experience. His forthcoming book, The True Canadians, is set to be published in January of 2023. Learn more about Westhawk at westhawk.com. To discuss your project, email David directly at davidw.westhawk.com. And now back to the show.
0: Welcome back uh, with uh, Mark Swinnerton of Green Gravity. Uh, and as we talked about before the break, uh, Mark, you're you're obviously, and, and I'm sure others uh, listening are that that familiar with the term core business and that main activity of a company that generates profitability, and allows for you know advantageous positioning with, with within the competition. One of the things that sometimes I think is that you know the mining industry's core business is mining, and and so how do we gain this line of sight for this? You know the from the uh, as a closure planning practitioner, uh, and you're you're trying to make it work at at the mine sites, so almost boots on the ground. Um, and I think of the comparison of say for example safety, where safety has become something that has line of sight from the boardroom. All the way to to the site and back, uh, with statistics as well as um, uh, that knowledge that you know safe production essentially is results in 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 better and, and more efficient production, and that there's this it's just part of life it's part of operations. So I was wondering what your what are those barriers or things that that as a closure planning practitioner we can learn to communicate and understand. You know, within the business, the the thought processes that are going up, uh, you know, higher up in the business, that we can we can learn to communicate and move move to people to communicate better and understand the uh, the situation as a whole.
1: Yeah, it's a fantastic um, topic, Mike. And I was thinking about th- this question, and I think it might surprise your your listeners that that my my view would be if we think about how much capital is invested in the industry. If we take perhaps the leading component of the industry, let's take the top 10 mining companies in the world, and we looked at the capital invested on an annual basis from those organizations, I would argue less than half of that capital is invested in direct production. And and so when we think about what the core business of the, the organization, if it was purely mining, we would expect the overwhelming majority of that capital to be into directly into mining, but it's not. Very
0: interesting.
1: And and I think what the, the if we ask the question why what else is the capital doing and why, it's because the definition of the core business for all of those organizations isn't actually mining. It is creating value. Uh, and I may frame it in different ways, but I think of it as creating value. And Part of that is obviously bringing a product to market, but it, but it's also bringing a product to market now and in the future. Uh, and if we look at the a net present value calculation, and this is perhaps how a investor who's putting forward capital to those organizations, how they may think of it, the net yeah. present value has vastly more to do with the future cash flows than the current cash flows. Right. And as a result, there is a lot of attention on protecting the future cash flows of an organization and if we think about it in that frame then suddenly it becomes more logical that you can be justifying a lot of investment on things that may protect or enhance the future cash flow of a business as much as it does the current so that could be things like investing in diversity and inclusion yes um you know that doesn't make sense on a single year production perspective necessarily, but it certainly makes sense when we think about access to workforce over the the future, improving culture to be able to lift productivity progressively, um, those sorts of metrics that go directly to long-term dollars, um, but they are an investment uh, across the portfolio of time in how we think about extracting value and sustaining cash flows. Yeah, and I think if we're framing that, and that's why we're seeing a broader and broader set of definitions coming into the way uh, priorities are being set. And I think that very much includes environmental. It includes the sustainability of the production, but then I think it also needs to inc- increasingly include how you optimize the negative effect at the end of it of an asset's life, which is very much the focus area of of, of your audience, and How to how to optimize that? I think. Um, connecting the dots and connecting the messaging between the sustainable value of the, the the discounted cash flow of the of a business to to understand there are ways to lift that value by changing the pathway of closure and that those investments will actually return and return handsomely um, to the total portfolio value right and the more you can out that case the more uh, attention the closure and landfall management is going to get.
0: Yeah. that's um that's really interesting because I think that is a valuable for people who work in this space because in Brisbane uh, over the last past uh, week uh, attending the Mine closure conference and inevitably with these types of conferences um from a closure planning practitioner will say well, we need to we need to do away with the NB2 Npb tool that's the thing that's allowing those other people to to push out yeah. closure costs into the future and not do them now, and I think what you've just provided is a is a real insight that that is the tool, but perhaps our perspective on how we're using it, um, we think of it as 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 a, um, I'm not going to say incorrectly, but there's a different perspective of how that tool is used from a closure pr- planning practitioner's perspective, to that what you've what you've just described. That's a very interesting point. So you could see it as a, from a negative
1: dimension or from a positive dimension. I want to also make a point around um, what's going on in the climate externality and how that plays into this conversation, because yes. um, there's a, there's a thin edge of the wedge, which is thermal coal. Right. And, and I think we've heard for 20 years, some conversation about stranded assets or, or you know, the this kind of concept that you're going to be sitting on, what you think is future value, and then that future value is just going to stop because yes. there's going to be a, you're going to be regulated out of existence or whatever it might be. Thermal coal is facing that now, and, and so the, a fantasy that you could take a closure plan on a thermal coal mine in a western country and push it out fifty years is, I think, not realistic because you, you know, these these product will not last that long now. Yeah, and um, so. I actually think you can now turn the tables and say, well, the net present value. There's no more discounting. It's actually now in the near. It's today. It might be five <laughs> or ten years out, it, or it's today. And yeah. as a result, we better get really serious about the closure planning and how to optimise it because it's not something in the nether netherlands in the future. It's actually going to hit your balance sheet now in a much less discounted fashion. So I think that might be the wedge that you use yeah. for the compensation. And it need not only be coal, but the, that could be the the use case to prove the point that actually great closure planning is massively value accretive, which is obvious. Um, But you've got to find a way to get people's attention and the death of thermal coal might well be a great way to do that.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. So on along a similar vein, but just changing the the focus of the discussion a little bit, I just want to talk about tailing storage facilities. I'm sure, you know, um, uh, with your previous roles, you've you've had uh, some deep insight to that, those conversations uh, within the business um and i just wanted to to bring it to you know landform design and and closure visioning um, uh, you know uh, unfortunately we recently had another tailings dam failure with with quite tragic consequences but i but i wanted to to take it as is, is there what's your perspective on the opportunity and again we're thinking about this npb and this cash flow of using maybe it's not economic from a from a traditional resource development and and to reserve to reprocess mine those tailings and and treat it as if it was a you know an ore body if you will but when we think about closure bonding and financial assurances is there a way that we can use that reprocessing as a as a closure vision you know to change the geotechnical stability geomorphic geochemical stability and even think about the future land use by um you know, reducing the, the financial assurance that a company would have and, and uh, you know, just pick a number, say the say closure costs were 50 and you're only able to get out 20 million dollars from the from the reprocessing. So yeah, it's still 30 million dollars, but you're bringing that back to a new landform that is a completely different risk profile and perhaps the financial assurance is is lower and you'll bring it all together and and maybe that's an option another closure vision if you will for somebody who's thinking about landform design and thinking about uh, as being a closure planning practitioner absolutely yes and i think what this is is touching on
1: is the question around valuing externalities yeah. that and if we think about the value pools that are sitting there as a closure planner we have to get really sophisticated because there are uh, there are a variety of externalities that have always been there but they're yes. now becoming much more conscious, and dating stamps is is an excellent example, um, where it's no longer again uh, kind of a sort of on the fringe externality. The, the the horrific events in the last decade and ones that continue to happen, and the the now clarity of the liability cost of that, the 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 class actions, the the human cost, the, the all of these things mean that boards now pay attention extraordinarily yes. because these could be company-ending events. And so now that externality can be priced. You, you can look at the capital allocation of right. the top ten miners again onto tailing dam remediation, and it's massive. It's yeah. much bigger than you would think. There are tens of billions of dollars being invested on shoring up dam walls. And mm-hmm. so now you go, okay, well I can price per per unit of activity, however we want to define the unit. I can now put a price on that and put it into my closure calculus, as you as you say, a new economic balance that we'll find. A better value outcome, and as a result, yeah. you can then go back to your organisation. You go here yeah. now. That's on tailing stamp, but there's others. I mean, yes. carbon is a great example. Again, it's an unpriced externality in in most cases, realistically for closure planning at the moment. It's about to not be, and yeah. so the more you can put. I, I noticed that Nickel West they've been they've been in the media a lot uh, in Western Australia a nickel um, business uh, at BHP. Owns, um, fantastic piece of work about sequestering carbon into the tailing stamps yes through this neat kind of process of calcification um good example where someone clever sat down and said I've now got a new value stream that suddenly just exists uh, and it's to do with uh, with this climate um, changes that are going on so I think um, bringing all those things in there's real opportunity to get super clever and really um, um, get
0: people's attention uh, to, uh, onto better closure planning that's exactly where I was where my mind's at but again with your experience and you know, somebody who's in 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 my field and area that that just that bit of insight of that um, uh, is is really valuable. I really appreciate that. Just one other insight on making the case for that as well for for your
1: listeners. Um, one of the pressures that that any senior leader in mining is going to face is that there is a huge amount of competition for capital within their portfolio, and right. so increasingly as we go forward, there's more and more issues that require capital. Whether it's automation, it might be you know, further decarbonisation. It might be addressing legacy issues. There's a million things that could be. And and they're only going to continue to grow, by the way. So there's this competition between sustaining capital for production and other sustainability matters. And so the more that you you can bring forward a closure solution that says, okay, I I can reduce your tailings costs or whatever it might be, you know, your dam costs. Because there's a finite amount of capital available, the marginal amount you've liberated go to investing back into production for the right. future, which has got real cash flow. But so <laughs> suddenly your the way you frame the piece is I'll do this here and what you get is lower cost production or more production at the end. And suddenly yeah. it's a very tangible conversation. So that, that I would um, argue that's a good way to try and put the pieces
0: together. And then that sort of leads into as perhaps we'll we'll uh, think about starting to wrap up here the, the last question for you perhaps Mark is that the landform design, and I'll just bring it into the Landform Design Institute and get your mm-hmm. perspective on, from your experience through your career, and again, what you're doing in the process of with Green Gravity is you're you're bringing change, and it, it it starts with a with a vision, a mission, and the Landform Designs Institute's mission statement is to make landform design routine in the mining industry by worldwide by 2030. But that's that's one of those things that's out there. It's tomorrow. And you're, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're wondering how, how do I how do I make change today um, mm-hmm. to keep yourself on track and those around you um, as you know being if one wants to be a leader in their in their business or in the industry, what would you say to to people in our position yep. or young and new mind closure practitioners as they they come into the industry and and seek to make change? A couple of points that I've learned along the way and that serves me well.
1: First thing I think you should remember is most people won't understand the nature of the issue you're trying to solve because they've got a million issues yeah. on their plate that yeah. no one focuses on. Um, yeah. So getting traction on defining the problem is really important. It's very, we should spend more time. We all should spend more time being really crisp about what's the problem. We've got to go get solved. Right. Why is it important? And, and that starts to create buy in the moment you can really activate that. The second point I'd make is the power of partnership. The more people you can loop into this exercise of defining the problem and then defining the solution, the more um, the more traction you're going to get and the more uh, potential resources that you could attract here. So I think um, that's the second point. And the final point I'd make on this is there are some really successful storylines and issues being defined and solutions starting to emerge, things like climate change, things like biodiversity. So things that people are becoming more and more aware of, and the more you can connect to their storylines, possibly the more traction you may get as well because you'll you'll yeah. shortcut the cycle of understanding because people will already be a bit further down the path. So I think if you apply those three things, um, you may be able to make a huge amount of progress. And the final yeah. bit there would be go look in the mirror everybody. It's yeah. not somebody yeah. else over in the other corner of the room that's going to do something about this. It's actually yeah. you. Uh, yeah. And so yeah. it's about yeah. personal accountability to actually get on and do stuff and it makes yeah. a difference.
0: Yeah, I love that. It reminds me of um, uh, my older brother Kevin. Uh, works in the mining industry, and he often I, I talk to him a lot. And uh, he often says that uh, I have trouble communicating. And he will say, "Well, Mike, you know, if you ask a different question, you'll get a different answer." I said, "Yeah, but and, you know, and so you, you've just said that is like you know <laughs> you got to set the question get everyone on the same page for the question. So that that's excellent." I think as we often think that I, we need to come to the table with a solution. But what you're saying is that actually come to the table open to a discussion about what the question is. Yeah, correct.
1: That, that is right. And you you will rarely get it right first go. Yeah. Um, but persist on getting the question right. And you'll know when it's right. Yeah. And, and you'll know, you know, and keep going until you know. Um, and in my experience, that makes all the difference. Because once you've got buy-in that this is a problem, the resources full flow for a solution because now you agree it's a problem it's a priority yeah. problem therefore we've got a resource the solution for it um, but yeah. and, unless it's defined as a problem and there's a million problems so no one you know you've got to get yeah. it above the others and that's
0: yeah. that really is important that's excellent so maybe the, the the true last question for 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 you mark uh, what have I what have I missed what have we missed what are the, the questions that I should be asking or, or the things that we should talk about um, just to wrap up here
1: yeah look i think it's been a it's been a fantastic conversation i want to double move back on this point around partnerships that was the one area i thought i wanted to emphasize a little bit more none of us can can kind of go and achieve amazing uh, things and really change the world by ourselves yes. uh and and so I, I really encourage your listeners to frame um their activities in in a in a framing around how can i part that on this how can i force multiply what I want to do by yeah. bringing a, an army of people together on this one. And it's been my experience, and I'll give you a couple of examples. It's been my experience that if you get this problem definition right, people yeah. will very willingly contribute to your solution that, that you're then advocating for. And, and yeah. in the example of green gravity, I've got this um, amazing circumstance where we have so many people contacting us saying, how can I help? Yeah. Uh, you know, can I volunteer to do some work in your organisation? Can we devote some resources? Could we work together to help um, pro- propel you faster? So, um, yeah. you, what you can see is when you can connect on something that people believe is a problem as well, then uh, you, it's amazing what what kind of resources you can actually rally. So that would be the, that that other area I advocate for your your listeners to really um, t- to tap into.
0: That's excellent. Well. I encourage everybody to uh, follow Green Gravity on, on LinkedIn and uh, and check out their website. It's uh, um, it's really good, and then we we get to see what Mark's up to. And uh, the, you guys do uh, it's a, a great presence on on LinkedIn as well. I really love it. So, I, thanks, really Mike. Gonna, we, I think we're going to have a
1: very exciting year coming up. So we're going to have a lot on LinkedIn. We've got things happening globally: India, the United States, Australia. And, uh you know it's going to be an exciting time so please yeah everybody do jump on and follow us and that power of partnership it goes in all directions so the more we can get the uh the lands uh, the land form enclosure fraternity uh on on board with um with clean energy who knows what can happen uh so yeah, you know yeah, definitely yeah.
0: The, you know looking forward to it that's awesome well mark i um what a pleasure uh for me and and an honor um i, I really appreciate your time um like as we go up, where uh, there's uh, uh, you've got a lot of things and a lot of choices for for where to spend your time, and I really appreciate you spending your time uh, with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. It's a real pleasure and honor to be invited, and I really look forward to what we can we can all achieve together going
1: forward. So thanks a lot for, for the invitation today. All right. Bye for now,
0: Mark. Thank you. Bye. See you later. What an incredible conversation with Mark. I liked all of it, but I especially liked Mark's discussion on valuing externalities when we think about asset value, which have always been there for us, but arguably have not been appropriately quantified. An inability to quantify these externalities should not be the case anymore, given the events that have occurred in respect of tailing storage facilities in the last 10 to 15 years. This makes such a strong case for an integrated approach to tailing storage facility design, construction, operation, and closure as set out in the LDI's position paper, where we consider the facility as being a landform right from the first time we begin to think and develop the project, which is also reflective of LDI's first of our 12 landform design principles to begin with the end in mind. As I reflect back on my conversation with Mark, I'm also reminded of his perspective on use of the net present value or NBV tool. Generally, we struggle with the use of this tool as closure planning practitioners because a telltale sign or symptom of a lack of mind planning and closure planning integration is deprioritization of closure opportunities due to discounting cash flow evaluations. Mark reminded us that perhaps a more appropriate perspective when using the tool might be that a cumulative NPV evaluation speaks to a future cash flow projection for a particular scenario or set of conditions. Hence, we could actually start communicating with our colleagues in planning and operations how strong integration of mine planning and closure planning, early and often, provides opportunity to de-risk deviation from a particular NPV projection. I look forward to our next episode, which will be available in the new year. As we move through our second season of Getting Closure, we are planning four to five more podcasts, including guests from Australia's CRC Time Program, or Transformation and Mining Economy Program, the Taltan Nation Development Corporation based in British Columbia, Canada, and the JDS Mining Group, one of LDI's corporate supporters. In the meantime, on behalf of the Landform Design Institute, I wish you and yours a happy holiday season. Getting Closure is a production of the LDI, with help from Westhawk Associates. For more information on the Institute, visit landformdesign.com, where you can sign up for free updates on Institute activities, or better yet, become a member. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes.